Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Hey everyone, how are we going today? Going good. Well, it's great to be back. We've uh, been on a family holiday the last couple of weeks, and it's good to be back and great to be uh, worshipping together. There's nothing like uh, being in God's house and worshipping together. Uh, I trust that you've been blessed uh, by our worship experience uh, so far. When I, walked, uh, when I drove into um, the, uh, the car park on Wednesday, the first thing I noticed was the new lines that had been painted. Who noticed the new lines? Come on now, we, we, we have a, a group that come in on a Tuesday, uh, the Tuesday crew, and faithfully each week they take on different jobs in the life of the church, and we've got a few of them here in the room today. I wonder if you're part of the Tuesday crew, if you could just stand uh, with us, uh, just stand for us there today. We've got Owen, and we've got David, we've got uh, some of the boys over here, yeah, up you get. And it was Reg and it was Owen that did the lines. So special thanks to you guys. So um, well done, that was great. And if you'd like to um, you know, serve with them, I don't know, Ash, when they get an opportunity, but it will in a few weeks' time. I'll give them a little plug now. Then you can go see David George and uh, he has a plan for your life. Okay, I'll give you the hot tip. He has a plan for your life and he can fill your days uh, with uh, lots of different things that are happening in the life of the church. I uh, also want to acknowledge uh, Drew and Jen Phillips who are up the back with us uh, here today. Do you guys want to stand up? Uh, they've been part of our church for uh, the last uh, few years and a beautiful family if you've got to know them and they're relocating back to America and we're going to really miss you. Uh, So I just wanted to honour you, and uh, we'll see Drew, because he's still getting some paperwork sorted, but Jen heads back with the girls uh, this week. So can we just honour these guys today, and bless you. All right. Well, today we're starting uh, a new series. Uh, We're going to be sitting in the book of Romans uh, for the next little while. Uh, We're going to be spending some time uh, looking at what does it mean to have a restored belief and what does it mean to have a restored uh, living. And there's going to be these two focuses for us uh, for some part of the second half of the year. We're going to sit in Romans and really really, kind of dig into uh, all that uh, God has for us uh, in this book over the second half of the year. And the theme of restoration has been uh, our mega theme uh, for 2022. We believe with every in our heart that God is a God of restoration. You might have noticed we're putting a few things in front of you around what it means to be restored unto God as well. Uh, Lee and Kathy Hartmeister are doing a great job in just cultivating some courses and some opportunities for us as a church to look at that more and more. So whether it was the, the grief course that I know is happening at the moment, or whether it's the divorce course that's uh, coming up, uh, Valiant Man has been running. Uh, Michelle and I are going to be looking at the marriage course, which is coming up as well. Uh, There's many opportunities, and we're wanting to intentionally put these opportunities in front of you because we know that we haven't arrived yet. Uh, We know that there's things in our lives that we're constantly working on and working through. There's situations, some that we have made choices that we find ourselves in, some that have just been thrust upon us, and we don't know quite what to do with it. And how do we turn to God? How do we know that God is 
a God of restoration? How do we position ourselves before him so we continue to grow in our discipleship, in our formation as, uh, as followers of Jesus? And it's really important that we do that in community. And it's really important that we do that uh, as the, with the Bible as the base uh, for our living in all of that. So I really want to bring these courses that we're looking at in front of you and saying, hey, we, we believe that God's a God of restoration. And here's some opportunities that are in front of you. And it might be that one of these opportunities comes to you this day at a time in your life where you go, yeah, I think I need that. And that's actually good and it's right. And I encourage you to take a step of courage and step into that. Uh, it's very important that, that you do that. With God being a God of restoration, we really believe that God is a God who, who wants to um, heal those uh, who are sick. He wants to make whole what is broken. He wants to save uh, those who are lost. That's part of God's heartbeat for humanity. Really important. And you know, this year uh, alone here at Clovey, we've seen 20 people make a first-time commitment to follow Jesus and to make him as their Lord and Saviour. I think that's pretty cool. Can we celebrate God for the work that he's doing in that? You know, we've had about a handful of people that have made contact with us and said, you know, I've experienced physical healing this year. It's something that they've experienced in their life and, and they've been thanking God for that and we've been able to see that. And then later this year, we have an opportunity, I know it's a unique opportunity, to play ping pong for 24 hours to actually be involved in restoring people who don't have that same opportunity, for standing up for those in the margins, for being a voice to the voiceless, for... Uh, having a global perspective on the world and actually participating in a way that we can combat modern-day slavery, particularly in South Asia, through IGM. Because we believe God is a God of restoration. And we want to look at this idea of restored belief and look at this book uh, of Romans. And to kind of set the scene uh, for that in some ways, I want to take you to Queenstown in New Zealand. Uh, you might have uh, been there yourself or you might have seen some pictures uh, of Queenstown, but we were there a few years ago on a family holiday and there was this one experience that we participated in, which was we went um, through a canyon uh, kind of boat ride. You might have done this one yourself or seen pictures of the shot over jet there and we went with the kids and, and basically you hop in this boat with a group of people you don't know, with a guy who's you know, a skilled driver but just wants to tell you jokes. And uh, it really puts you at ease, right? And then you go through this canyon going at just incredible speeds and he thinks it's really fun to get as close to the edge as possible and then do as many kind of donuts and you know, kind of 360s as he can. And then pretty much if he scares everyone on the boat, he wins. That's, that's sort of what he's after every time. I don't know how many times he does it during the day. And uh, the thing about this canyon ride, though, it was incredible, the precision of the driver, the, the timing uh, of the driver manoeuvring the, the boat, and then the purpose of wanting to get to one end to the other. And it's, it's these words, precision and timing and purpose that I want you to keep in mind. Or it might have been in the clip before I spoke today, you might have really been drawn to the fact that someone can take like a lump of wood and turn it into a cross, a master craftsman, if you will. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to be the person who provides work for tradies. I'm, I'm the one that keeps them in business. You know, I'm making mistakes and making phone calls and asking for help. But consider taking a, a, a bit of a tree and then the precision, the, the timing, the purpose of making that into a cross. It might be something that you were drawn into. So, so this imagery 
of a speedboat going through a canyon or a master craftsman turning a, a, a lump of wood into a beautiful cross. This is imagery that is helpful for us when you think about precision and you think about timing and you think about purpose. And this is a good way in some ways to introduce the book of Romans to us because Paul writes this book with precision. He writes this book with timing and a sense of purpose in what he's trying to convey to the original audience and to us today. And the theologian N.T. Wright um, goes as far to say that this book, uh, Romans, is actually Paul's masterpiece, his masterpiece in his writing. It is Paul's piece of art. Incredible to think. So let me set the scene for this book a little bit more. The time is around 57 AD. We're in the first century. And Paul had been church planning now for about 25 years. He'd been church planning for some time. And it's fair to say that he was probably looking for a fresh challenge. Uh, it might be that you might have been in your work for some time and there might have been moments where you've been looking for you know, a fresh challenge or something new. You know, what is the next frontier? And in many ways, Paul, after church planning for a quarter of a century, he's looking to what the future could be. Where hasn't the gospel gone to yet? Uh, where is some opportunity for him to be able to share about Jesus? And he starts to put his attention towards a place called Spain. And that's where he's starting to think. So he, he's currently located in 57 AD in a place called Corinth. And he's during his third missionary journey. You can read more about that in Acts 20. And this is the location where he writes the book from. And his rough plan was to go through Jerusalem, onto Rome, and then off to Spain. And he wanted to go through Jerusalem because he'd been collecting an offering from all the Gentile churches. He'd been collecting an offering that he was going to take into Jerusalem, and then he was going to head to Rome, and then off to Spain. And he confirms this in Romans 15, where he says this in verses 23 to 25. He says, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. So he's speaking about Corinth and we've been planting churches for the last quarter of a century. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed, our, uh, enjoyed your company for a while. And then he says in verse 25, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. So really the purpose uh, of this book that he's wanting to write uh, and this letter to uh, the Romans is he's wanting to uh, speak to them about everything that he thinks is important in the Christian faith. And it's important that we understand that right from the start. He's trying to give them a full understanding of the Christian faith, which is actually different to other letters that he wrote. Because he wrote other letters to churches where he'd planted the church and then there'd been some flare-ups or some issues and as the spiritual dad, he'd come in and he'd just try and sort some things out. This is a different sort of situation. This is a situation where he's wanting to give them a full understanding of the Christian faith because he knows he's going to go there and he'd like to partner with them with where he's going into the future as well. So he writes with precision, timing 
and purpose. So as we go through this book and we go through this series, keep this imagery of the speedboat going through the canyon or keep this imagery of uh, you know, a bit of wood being turned into a cross and, and the precision that Paul writes with, the timing in which he introduces concepts and then the purpose of his letter. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, let's turn to Romans 1. We're going to sit in Romans 1 together today. And this is what it says right from the start. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to the call of the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and to be called to his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here from verse 1, Paul gives his focus for the book. And his focus for the book is he talks about the fact that he is called, he's set apart and is a servant for the gospel of God. For the gospel of God. And the gospel is the focus for Paul throughout this whole book of the Romans. And this word gospel, you might be thinking, well, I've heard that word around the place. You know, I've been in church maybe long enough or, you know, I've just heard this word from time to time. What, what exactly does this word gospel mean? Well, it literally translates out to meaning good news. So the word gospel means good news and it's the good news of God. Um, so what and who Paul is referring to is he's referring to Jesus and he's referring to the good news of God. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark 1, 15 and 16, it says this, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He was proclaiming the gospel of God. And he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So Paul's talking about the gospel being the focus of this book and the focus of his life. And that gospel uh, and that good news is found in the person of Jesus. And this was very real for Paul. This isn't just some sort of theoretical uh, kind of idea. This is very real in his life uh, because he came to Christ on the Damascus Road in Acts 9. You can read about his conversion. You can read about where he uh, met Jesus and he uh, accepted the gospel of God, how he was saved. And now this is the good news that he preaches to others about. And in verses 2 and to verses 6, it elaborates on the centrality of the gospel and this good news of God. Uh, verse 2 speaks about how the gospel uh, was promised over time through the prophets and the holy scriptures. And verse 3 connects Jesus into uh, the, the kind of messianic prophecies through him being a descendant of the royal line of David. And in verse 4, he says that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And what Paul's doing here is he's being very precise with his words. Because when he says that uh, Jesus is Lord, this is a very controversial statement to make in the first century and in Rome. 
See, Rome had an emperor, had a leader. Nero Caesar was the leader at the time. And Nero Caesar was titled the son of God. It was hailed good news when he had his birthday. And all the people had to submit into that. So he knew that by saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Son of God. He knew that this was a provocative statement. You know, sometimes when someone says something and they press a button and then, you know, it, the meaning really rises in the room and you can sense that, this is one of these moments for them. This was a moment right from the outset in Romans 1 where Paul is saying Jesus is Lord. Because in Rome at that time, they'd say Caesar is Lord. He's the Lord. He's the son of God. He's the one uh, who we hail good news for his birthday. So he's being very precise and purposeful with his words. And then in verse five and six, he shares about it's the gospel now that he shares with others uh, to the Gentiles and into the known world. And verse seven, such a beautiful verse. Let me read it to us again. When we speak and think about what it means to live restored lives, he says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that you are loved by God here today? Those in the room, those with us online, do you know that you are loved by God? Do you experience and live in that love? Do you know that you are called to be a holy people? Is that a reality in your life? Is it something that... Uh, you live into during the week and uh, into the weekend and as we gather on a Sunday. See, God gives us his grace and peace to live with him and for him. It's not something we need to do on our own. It's not something that we need to manufacture. It's actually a posture of response to what God has already done through Jesus and we can live into that. And I really sense that God uh, wanted to personalize this verse for us today. And for some uh, to find uh, real meaning in the living word. So I just invite you, wherever you find yourself now, to close your eyes and let me read this verse over us today. So just close your eyes and center in on the Lord. Let me read this verse over us today. To all in Clovey who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, in what area or in what areas of your life do you need to receive that word today? In what area of your life do you need to receive the love of God or or to know that you've been called to be a holy people or to receive a fresh in your life, the grace and the peace of God. Just receive that from him now. Let him speak into your inner life. Let him shape and cultivate you and know that he sees you and he loves you and he calls you to himself. Amen. Amen. Well, Romans 1, 8 to 13 goes on to say, 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, uh, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. So like I mentioned earlier, Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. It's known to be Peter who planted the church in Rome. And so this is a unique situation. If you read other letters that Paul has written, he does write much more from that position of being the spiritual father, the one who planted the church and he can come in and he can speak in that way. But he's speaking maybe a slightly more you know, considered or, or, or by way of more introduction to the people here as well. There were some people that he did know in the church of Rome because the previous emperor got exasperated with some of the issues that were happening in the church. So he actually removed the Jewish Christians out of Rome. And they had a time where they were out. And that's where Paul got to know uh, some of uh, the, uh, the, the Jewish Christians that were in Rome. And they were starting to filter back in under Nero. And uh, so there would have been some uh, that were there. But actually, the church is interesting uh, in, uh, in Rome as well, because it's mostly a, a Gentile community in the first century with uh, a few uh, Jewish believers. So in some ways, a little bit different uh, from what he's had before as well. And what he's doing is he's been careful with his introductions. And in verse 8, he's, been, he's saying he's thankful for them and their faith. In verse 9 and 10, he prays for them. Verse 11, he longs to see them. And in verses 11 to 13, he wants to impart God's gift upon them. So there's this mutual building up of the faith. There's this mutual encouragement of the faith, which is so uh, very important. And the way that the church happened in Rome in the first century was through a house church model. So they had many house churches that were meeting across the city. You might have been to Rome in recent times. You might have been to the Vatican City and seen St. Peter's Basilica and thought, oh, gee, they met in a pretty nice place back there in the first century. But no, they didn't meet there, obviously. Uh, they had a house church uh, situation. And, uh, and that's how they uh, met and gathered and they built one another up. So there's a number of house churches that were, were meeting. And Paul was wanting to be with them to build relationship and ministry partnership so that Rome could be the base for his further expansion of the gospel into Spain. So part, again, of the writing of the book of Romans was actually to give this full understanding of the gospel. He wanted to make sure that they fully understood uh, what the Christian faith uh, was all about. And in many ways, you know, what Paul was trying to do was he was trying to bring the church in Rome onto the same page all these different house churches meeting, he wanted to bring a sense of unity. That was part of giving them this fuller understanding of the gospel. So there's this, this unity in faith, but then there's this, also this unity in mission. And so this makes me kind of wonder, right at the start of this series, how can we be encouraged as a people of God to seek unity? How can we be, a, uh, be encouraged as a people of God to actually step 
towards God and towards one another in unity? How can we continue to have a full understanding of what God wants to do in terms of laying a foundation of faith for us, but then also being mission orientated. And that's something that I just want to encourage us with. So as we go through this series, let's have a commitment in our heart towards unity, towards faith, and towards mission. And then the last part of verse, chapter one here, verses 14 to 17, what Paul begins to do is he starts to flesh out what this fuller understanding of the gospel is. He says this, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul's first big point to the church in Rome, to give them this fuller understanding of the Christian faith and to bring them onto the same page is this. It is that God's gospel is for all. God's gospel is for all. And that's what we need to understand in our heart and in our mind and and to know that God's gospel is for all people. He says in verses 14 and 15, for the Greeks and the non-Greeks, for the wise and for the foolish. He says in verse 16, salvation is for everyone, not for some. Salvation is for everyone who believes. And in verse 17, he says the gospel, God's good news is demonstrated through God's righteousness. It is probably good and right that we don't feel worthy. It's through God's righteousness, his faithfulness, that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, God's gospel is for all. It always has been, it always will be. And I wanna invite Uh, you to consider if you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in him, if you haven't given your life over to him, I want you to know that God's gospel is for you. It is for you. There is nothing that you have done or what you haven't done, where you've been or where you haven't been. God's gospel is for you. His good news is for you. I'm gonna give you an opportunity at the end of the service today to accept that if that is for you. And in verse 16, he states that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And this statement, again, precise with timing and purpose, very uh, provocative. It's leveled right there at Emperor Nero. Nero would say that he rules the world, but God's gospel says that Jesus does. And Paul might have had Psalm 119 verse 46 in his mind uh, when he was writing this, where it says, I will speak of your decrees before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. Or in Philippians 2.10, he said to the church in Philippi that every knee shall bow to Jesus. So he's not ashamed of his gospel, even though in Rome, the emperor would say he's the boss. He's saying, well, doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the boss. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. That's how it works in God's kingdom. And I love how he phrases it. He says, I'm not ashamed. Or another way it could be written, he's saying, I'm not embarrassed. Or I have no shame in the gospel. Or to spin it in the positive, he says, I'm very proud of God. 
Now, I wonder if you can think about something that you are not ashamed of, something that you are proud of, something that you're not embarrassed by. I wonder if you can think about someone or something now uh, you know, that, that comes straight to mind that you're not ashamed of, something straight to mind that you're not embarrassed of. Maybe you're, you're thinking about you know, a, a family member or, or maybe you're thinking about you know, a, a friend or maybe you're thinking about a, a colleague at work or a situation that you're, you're, you're not ashamed, you're very proud of that person. I know that when we started to have kids, our, our parents started to carry around these like little, little photo books. They wanted to show all their friends. Hey, this is the new kid that's come into our family. I, I was like, okay. They're not ashamed. Very proud. What is it for you that comes straight to mind? And then drawing that comparison back, the question for us today is, do we have that same affection for God? Can we put a hand on our heart and say that we are proud of him? That we are not ashamed of the gospel? What does this mean then and therefore for our faith formation? What does it mean to be a people of God who are not ashamed of the gospel? What does it mean for a people of God that are proud of God? What does it mean to be a people who Say, so we're not embarrassed about you, God. But we, we love you. We really even like you. And we want other people to know that that's who we follow. Because we've spoken about this uh, in the past. You know, we've spoken about the fact that we're in a time of history now, which is hard to make sense of this time. It's hard to make sense of history when you're living it. But people, you know, in the, in the future will look back and draw a straight line on our time right now. But we're in a very delicate time in history where being a Christian in the Western world particularly, it's getting harder, not easier. And if that's not your experience, then I'd like to talk to you about that because my experience and I think the experience of the Western church and part of the reason of its decline and part of the reason that I think, you know, you could look at the census data and say, oh, there's real... Problems, or you could think of the census data and say, well, it's probably a truth tell over the last 30 years. It's just that there's just been a lot of people that have been ambivalent in how they've been responding, and now they're probably just being a bit more honest, or it's a bit more of an issue for them. So it's getting harder to be a follower of Jesus, not easier. But over history, Christianity has done its best work from the margins and not from the center. And the church in the West has had all the information and opportunity, but lacked incredible, probably, transformation. And we're being called on some of the sins of the past, which actually, honestly, we need to put our hand up and say, yeah, the church messed some things up big time. But what does it mean if we carry the good news? And, and, and if we carry the good news of God in our lives, what does it mean for us at this time? to be followers of Jesus, to be unified in faith and in mission. Because this is critical for us to wrestle with. If this is not something that's front of mind for you as a follower of Jesus, I implore you that it does become. Because if we don't find ways to have thoughtful, honest, helpful conversations with each other and with our friends who are searching faith, but maybe not looking to the church for an answer, then we're going to miss what God is doing in our midst. 
Because like I mentioned, we've had 20 people this year come to faith. It's incredible what God is doing. But we need to know that he's doing some things in different ways, perhaps. So how are we not ashamed of the gospel? How, do we, how are we proud of God? How do we live in that way, just not on a Sunday, but into our lives? Well, I think there's some clues in the next part of the verse where Paul says, he states, the reason he's not ashamed is because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This word salvation literally means to save. And if you've come into a relationship with Jesus, you'd know that you've been saved. You have a salvation story. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says later in this book, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess and that you are saved. You see, this is personal for Paul. He's received this salvation in his life and he knows the power of God. So he's surrendered his life before God. He's living a surrendered life before God and he's saying, I want to live God in your power and not my own. I want to listen and attend to the things that you're doing in my life and in the communities in which I exist and participate with you in that way. And that's a clue for us. We don't need to manufacture our own power to live for God in a way that we're not ashamed of him. Well, actually, we have to actually rely on his power. We surrender before him. And in verse 17, we live as people of faith. He says, the righteous live by faith. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our team go out to Gawler and, uh, and preach that uh, those steps that we're going towards adopting Gawler into Clovey uh, are all going really well. We're actually uh, going to be interviewing for, um, uh, for a campus pastor really soon and encourage, uh, just ask for your prayers uh, in that uh, process. And one of our team went out to preach a couple of weeks ago. And on the way out, uh, they had a, a leading from God to, uh, to um, actually offer a first-time commitment response. And they said, well, God, you know, who, who's going to be there that maybe doesn't know you? And, uh, and then God said, oh, I want you to do it, you know, offer an opportunity for response. So he preached his message and then he got to the end and he said, I really felt like God wanted to offer an opportunity for people to come to faith. And a lady down the front put her hand up and, she, uh, and he spoke to her later and he got to pray uh, with her and she accepted God into her life. And, and when I think about that, I just think, how great is this that it's the power of God at work in people's lives that brings salvation. And there's a surrender that we have before Him. As people who follow Him, we surrender Him to Him because we know it's His power at work in our lives. And for people that are exploring faith, you know that you can trust Him because it is God who's drawing you closer to Himself. And I was really encouraged by this because of both the person that was communicating and speaking, listening to God, and then the person who put their trust in God that day, acknowledging, yeah, God's drawing me deeper into relationship with you. So our response then in verse 17 is to be a people who live by faith. The righteous will live by faith, Paul says, quoting directly from the Old Testament in Habakkuk. And that's our encouragement as we get started on this journey about restored belief. I want to encourage us today to be a people who know that God's gospel is for all. And we don't need to be ashamed 
We can be very proud of God because we know that it is His power at work in our lives that brings salvation and gives us the ability to live for Him. We stand, let's pray together.